The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, the Commercial Appeal Sports Columnist. I'm joined by Evan Barnes, our Tiger Football Beat Writer. Jason Munns, our Tiger Basketball Beat Writer and Producer, is here as well. We have a ton to get to. First of all, (laughs) before we get to all the other stuff, let's just mention, right off the bat, Memphis is an AAC champion, finally. After 50 years, they got their first outright conference championship with a thrilling 29-24 win over Cincinnati at the Liberty Bowl this past Saturday afternoon slash evening. They are going to the Cotton Bowl. They're going to play Penn State. Uh, They're 12-1. It's a historic season. Um, And, of course, they deserve – the players, the coaches deserve tons of credit – But, of course, with how college football works, um, they're not going to have their head coach, more than likely, in the Cotton Bowl. uh, And they are in the midst of a coaching search for the next head coach. Uh, Because, obviously, unless you've been living under a rock, Mike Norvell has taken the job at Florida State. He was introduced on Sunday. Ryan Silverfield, the deputy head coach, has been elevated to interim head coach. He is likely one of the he is one of the candidates for the permanent job uh but they have commenced a what Laird Veach the athletic director called a national search for Mike Norvell's successor um so a lot to address there let's let's start with the coaching search Mike Norvell leaving and we'll get to later on the Cincinnati game and then the Cotton Bowl uh because it stinks that we have to overlook it but it the bottom line is right now, for the future of this program, what's important is this coaching search. Um, so, Evan, I'll, I'll I'll turn to you first. Two questions: One, how do you think? Do you think this went about this weekend went about as well as it could have given the circumstances? Because that's what I think. And two, lay out what you think how you think this coaching search will go what your thoughts are i guess on where memphis goes from here so this weekend i thought was almost everyone kept saying how like this is an amical breakup it almost felt like you go to college with somebody for four years you date them you get to know them you have all these memories but somebody's taking a job in a different city you got a job in the other city another city and you know that this can't work out the certain ways you're just like okay if this is how it's going to go Let's have one great hurrah, like one last date, one last ride. And that's kind of what Sunday felt like. It was rocky. It was bumpy. But the second half, obviously, we'll get to the game, kind of just brought this great love affair. And you could tell Mike was emotional. The players were emotional. So I think this weekend, with the way everything played out, it couldn't have gone any better as far as how it was handled. The news broke, obviously, during the game. But overall, I felt like it was handled as well as it possibly could be given the circumstances. Yeah, just to interject there. So it's, it it sounds like from Mike Norvell's introductory press conference at Florida State, this all began during the bye week, Memphis's bye week. So after the SMU win, right, when they're on national TV and spotlight, that's when he first interviewed with Florida State. And so the fact that it didn't something like that didn't one get out until 
the week leading into the AFC Championship game, and two, didn't derail the season. Like, I mean, to be quite honest, a lot of people suspect it did a few years ago, four years ago, when Justin Fuente left for Virginia Tech, is notable. I would say I think Mike handled it about you know this. It's always going to be awkward. There's no right way to handle it because of the way college football is set up. They probably need to find a solution to something like this because it stinks that that Memphis is play essentially had to play its biggest game, its first biggest game of the year, if you will, like this biggest game of the year, the AAC championship game, with this cloud hovering over it about Mike possibly, and obviously the it was true, going to Florida State. And then now, the biggest bowl game in program history, they have to play with a makeshift staff in a lot of ways. And it's because of the recruiting calendar. It's because, of, like, and, and to me, it's a clear sign that the, that either you need to push signing day back even beyond February, like back to like March or April, or you need to have the early signing period needs to be in the summer. Um, and there needs to be some sort of I – w- I hope eventually we get some sort of moratorium on this. I don't know how you do it equitably, you know. I don't know if it's a certain date where you can't make a hire, kind of like how the NBA does with free agency, but it just seems like we're doing a disservice to all the players, um, recruits, players, everyone, by having this, you know, like, you know, Memphis technically officially found out Sunday that it's losing its head coach. Ten days late, early signing day is ten days later. Now, I'm not naive to think Memphis hasn't already hadn't already started vetting and and looking into candidates for the job but that accelerated timetable is just asking for these schools to make multi-million dollar mistakes like um if you look at what florida state did with willie taggart like and so it just seems like a system like obviously there's good hires made but it feels like you're almost you're almost setting up these schools to make bad hires because you have this ridiculously accelerated timeline to make a hire. And not just that. I mean, just look on the field. I mean, this is the biggest moment that Mike has been building for with this team. This team has kind of been building for, hey, they have a chance to go to a New Year's Six game, and now they can't share that moment. Almost, It almost feels like Scott Frost coaching the, the Peach Bowl two years ago will kind of be the last of its kind in a will because you're at a point where this moment that the team has been building for – they can't share it with the guy who helped lead them there. So I'll be curious if they can change it because it is really strange. Yeah, it's, it's pie-in-the-sky stuff right now, to be quite honest. Yeah, I mean, since when has the NCAA ever cared about, you know, like like sparing mm. sparing the players the, the yeah. awkwardness? No, it's, of, it, would be, it, would, it would take some creative and thoughtful uh, solutions and um, – <laughs> That has not necessarily been the NCAA's MO over the years. Um, Never. Okay, so let's go to – okay, so Mike Norvell's gone. He's at Florida State. Um, we'll see what his staff looks like if anyone from the Memphis staff right now ends up following him there. Um, my gut tells me John Simon, the recruiting coordinator and wide receivers coach, is a good can- is a candidate to go there. Uh, maybe Pete Lembo, maybe not. Um, I'll throw another candidate, um, strength and conditioning coach Josh Storms, who's yes. been with him since Arizona State. He probably will get a call at some point. And Mike has already hired Kenny Dillingham as his OC, at, according to reports, according to Pete Thamel. Um, so it, that'll be an interesting thing to watch develop over here. But it sounds like, at least for now, 
the coaching staff other than Mike will remain intact through the Cotton Bowl under uh, interim coach Ryan Silverfield. And we'll get to the weird dynamic of will Mike coach in the Cotton Bowl, will he not coach in the Cotton Bowl uh, later. But your thoughts on the coaching search, Evan. Who, who, what, what do you think the ideal candidate looks like hypothetically? Who do you think are some candidates they'll be looking at? Well, I was well, – we we'll talk about Ryan Silverfield's press conference, but I thought, you know, listening to Ryan Silverfield, it kind of showed that the next Memphis coach has to keep the passion going that is being around the program. You wrote about it in your column, but I think they need to find a candidate who's going to, one, inspire people around here, someone who's going to be willing to be a part of this community. Um, I do think Ryan Silverfield is going to be someone they're going to look at, but as I was telling some people last night, just because somebody impresses you right away – doesn't mean you make a decision based on it. You're going to sleep on it, and that gives you more reason to go out and do a national search because of how well he sounded yesterday. So I'll be curious what Memphis does. We have a list on our coaching board here. Maybe they go with someone like former Memphis assistant Chip Long, who's the OC at Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe they go with a sitting head coach like a Billy Napier at uh, Louisiana Lafayette or, you know, maybe they go random and get someone like throw out a link to Graham Harrell or maybe an even bigger long shot might be even Barry Odom, who – Got fired at Missouri, but was I'll be st- honest. I think there was a report out this weekend that Barry Odom was going to be a top candidate. I can tell you from talking to people, I don't think he's really going to be. Cons- I I think there are su- there are a couple boosters, if you will, uh, who would like to see Barry Odom considered. But I think he kind of rubbed some some of the power brokers at Memphis the wrong way during the previous coaching search, in which he was the first the top candidate to replace Justin Fuente and I think some people felt uh felt he burnt, he used Memphis a little bit in order to get the Missouri job and so I would I'll just say I'll phrase it like this I would be surprised if he ends up getting the job even though I I think the initial reaction to him from Memphis is like Ugh, no yeah, and like I actually don't think he's he'd be a terrible hire I don't I personally don't think he's the best hire but I think I would. I don't think it's crazy to consider him. Right, and a lot of people in my mentions were just adamant, like, no, we do not want Barry Odom. And I was surprised because, I mean, when I, I interviewed Barry last year for a story, he seemed very – he thought very highly of Memphis. There are people here who still really liked him, but, hey, we'll see what happens. But, you know, we're going to be updating our coaching hot board at commercialappeal.com. You can see, you know, who we think or what, you know, reports will come out. But I think it will be really interesting what Memphis does, and I think they probably – I know Laird Beach said he doesn't want to make a quick decision, but signing day is coming up. No, he's got it. I mean, honestly, I think this needs to be wrapped up by the beginning of next week. I think so. I think the early early signing period is uh, starting next Thursday. To me, you have to make an announcement before early signing day. I I don't. If it drags past that, you're in trouble. Um, But that being said, what's what's fascinating to me is they had they've had these two wildly successful coaching searches in a row. The one that got you Justin Fuente and the one that got you Mike Norvell. And at least on the surface, from what we heard from Laird Veach, they're not necessarily doing it the same way that they did those two times. Those last two times they hired search firms. Um, And it was a, you know, there was a committee of, I guess, university stakeholders, if you will, involved. They're not doing either of those things this time, which, which, and that's what Laird said yesterday, which suggests to me, again, like I mentioned, even though Laird said they were just starting the search yesterday, 
this has already been in motion for a little while. As we said, Mike Norvell interviewed for this job, the Florida State job, during the bye week. And Laird Beach said he was very open and professional with them about it. So they knew this was coming. Um, I would just call and, – and the other thing that's interesting, so let's talk about Silverfield because it was a fascinating press conference he held on Sunday after Laird talked. And Laird's in the room, and as I said in a column that you can read on commercialappeal.com, it was essentially a job, the job interview before the job interview actually happened in a lot of ways because there's Ryan Silverfield at the podium – Basically, you know, essentially giving his pitch for why he should be the permanent head coach. And I think he's a worthy candidate. I think he's a good candidate. Um, he br- he'll bring some stability in, a, in an uncertain time. We talk about the, the recruiting class. Probably able to keep that entire recruiting class together. Sounds like he's got the players really want him. Um, but I would just caution, and this is what I wrote, I, I'm not saying Ryan Silverfield is not the right choice. He very well could be. But you're this job is so good now because of what Justin Fuente and Mike Norvell did. You're crazy if you're just going to like a lot I I sense a, a growing sentiment after that press conference from fans to just okay, this is the guy. He's charismatic. He loves Memphis. He stayed here when others didn't. And like to me, like that's important, but You'd be doing yourself a disservice if you don't go and check out what the other options because you are the best job on the market right now. And I just, I, you know, I, I would say this. One, it, it was funny. I didn't know that much about Memphis football's recruiting class. So I went and looked. I was like, this must be some fantastic recruiting class. And it's pretty good. It's also the fifth best recruiting class in the AAC, according to 247 Sports right now. Like, just like this can't be about keeping a recruiting class together or giving the players the coach they want. This is about the program. Like, here's what I'm going to be honest if you hire the right guy, yeah, you might lose a guy or two in the recruiting class. Chances are, if Ryan Silverfield doesn't get the job, he's going to go to Florida State with Mike Norvell. And here's what I here's what I can tell you. Looking at that recruiting class, I didn't see a lot of Florida State caliber recruits in that class. There might, like I said, there might be a couple that you lose because of that, and maybe Mike Norvell and uh, in this scenario, Silverfield poaches them. But I, I think the right coach, whether he loses some recruits or not, is going to put together a decent class. Yeah, just the right, right. the right coach is gonna is gonna ease the concerns of the players on this team. And again, that very well might be Ryan Silverfield, but I think there's a lot of really good candidates out there that you'd be foolish not to consider. And frankly, if you wiped if you wiped away Silverfield's name and just stacked up resumes against some of the other guys who are going to be considered, I think there's guys with much better resumes than Ryan Silverfield that that are going to want this job. In in other words, don't sell yourself short. Yes. I mean, listen, you you like you said, this is the best potential one of the two or three best right now non power 5 jobs. It's the best the job on the market right now. Like this and and you have a great team coming back next year plus this history of the last two coaches 
didn't just get power five jobs. They got like elite power five yeah. jobs that people want. Like, not, you know, they didn't just go to Ole Miss or Arkansas. They went to Florida State, which has won a national championship in the last decade, and Virginia Tech, which is a which over the last twenty five years has been you know one of the top twenty programs in the country. Yeah, you you just you you can't be short sighted about this. Yes. You've got to. I mean, you know, just because Ryan Silverfield might feel like the right candidate in the moment, and nobody, you got to make sure right. he's the right candidate for th- two three years from and now. And nobody here is saying that he's not. No, right. I mean, you, you got to make sure though. you certainly yeah. consider him, but you don't put blinders on and, and yeah. just and just get tunnel vision and say, mm-hmm. you know, oh, just because he's here, just because he was Mike Norvell's right hand man, just because you don't want to lose a few recruits this recruiting cycle, yeah. just because you want to keep uh, the peace in the locker room among the players who are staying past this year, um, he's the guy. Like that, that all matters. Don't don't I, right, I, for a second that doesn't matter, but. You can't. That that's not all that matters. No, and I would say I would caution people to remember this too. This is not the Memphis of like six, ten years ago. This isn't little old Memphis. This is a program that has built itself to a national brand. So act like it. Conduct yourself as a national brand. Saying people want to come here, let them come. Let's interview. Let's go out and see. It's basically like if you're the most beautiful person on campus, you're not going to just pick the person that's interested in you. You're going to say, "Come woo me. Come impress me." And mm-hmm. I think if you're Memphis, yes, Ryan Silverfield has a lot of support. But like I said, that's why you go see what else is out there because you don't want to just make a decision based on what's right in front of you. Yeah, he's got the support, and he does have. Um, There's some good, very real positives about Ryan. That's Silverfield. what I'm saying. There, there are good reasons he's got. <laughs> he a, a understands Memphis. Yes. He's been part of this program's rise. He he knows the infrastructure. The transition would probably be easier with Ryan Silverfield. But to me, you cannot just think about the transition. That's right. You got to think about more than that. And maybe he is better than everyone in more than that. But I would but, think but, you want him to earn, earn it in the sense that you want him to shine brighter than the other candidates. You don't want to just hand this to him. And unfortunately, I don't think you can wait to watch how he handles the Cotton Bowl. No. Um, you just don't have enough time. And But like... Honestly, I'll be honest, one of my fears, what happens, let's say, let's say they go out in the Cotton Bowl and because of all this disarray, they get they get run off the field in the Cotton Bowl by Penn State and you've hired Ryan Silverfield as your permanent guy. All this momentum that is there right now, all that wind is out of your sails if you lose if you don't show well in this Cotton Bowl. And even though there's some built-in excuses like Mike Norvell's not there, you know, um you're not. You don't have T.J. Carter. You know, whatever. But like, there's that, that's a that's a like people are thinking about Ryan Silverfield as if he's a safe pick. Yeah. And I would just say he's just as rick, risky as hiring someone from outside the Norvell tree. And my other concern is Ryan Silverfield is presenting himself essentially as I'll keep this train rolling. Like. And Which my, is a valid argument. That's it is. Valid. Very valid. But, but I would say this. My, my fear is, as someone who's been around this program for several years and covered it for several years, I think that's discounting how special Mike Norvell is. I, I think this is very much his – this was very much his program. This was his stamp. And I think hiring someone to replicate what Mike Norvell did – is not smart because I don't think anyone can just be a car, be 
a replication of Mike Norvell. Ryan Silverfield needs to stand out in his own regard. And and an interesting point people have brought up, and I think it's it's valid. Like there are lots of examples of coaches who have been promoted from within or have gotten taken the interim tag taken off them and become the permanent head coach who have worked. And all you have to do is look at the college football playoff this year. Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley was the OC and got promoted um, when Bob Stoops left. Now, a caveat to that is Lincoln Riley was probably going to get another head coaching job if Oklahoma didn't make him the head coach. But still, nonetheless, Ryan Day at Ohio State, same thing. Promoted from within, served as an interim while uh, Urban Meyer was suspended a year ago, has Ohio State in the playoff. Ed Orgeron, interim at LSU, who had the interim taken off, has been very successful this year. And then, um, oh, Clemson. Dabo Sweeney is probably the best example over the last quarter century of an interim coach who people doubted, wasn't, weren't sure he was a, he was a wide receivers coach, much like Ryan Silverfield is technically just an O-line coach. Um, and they made him the interim and then hired him permanently. And look at Clemson now. They've been wildly successful. Um, but as I pointed out in my column, all those guys didn't just copy what their they weren't just they weren't they didn't just copy what their predecessor did they they, yeah, they, they fundamental they were fundamentally different when they when they had enjoyed the success they ended up getting they became they were fundamentally different than what the person before them was like Lincoln Riley is different than Bob Stoops Ryan day Ryan day might be the one exception as of now because it's only his first year it appears this is much in a, in a lot of ways just an extension of urban Myers program so if you're looking for a template for Ryan Silverfield maybe Ryan day another Ryan is it um well I mean at the same time Ohio State Memphis it's not quite the same. Yeah, oh, yeah, yes. Yes, it's different. You're playing on different playing fields, right. if you will. But Ed Orgeron yeah. hired Joe Brady, fundamentally became fundamentally different this year on offense than what Les Miles ever was. Right. And, and then um, and then Dabo Sweeney, same thing. About you know earlier this decade when he hired Chad Morris and Brent Venables and like Clemson just poured money into that program and his staff and he became and it became just fundamentally different than it was and so how Ryan Silverfield presents that to Laird Veach and whoever else is involved in this hire is going to be paramount like who's he going to have as his like if I'm if I'm sitting there interviewing Ryan Silverfield I want to know right now who's your offensive coordinator who's your defensive coordinator and what are you going like why are you and I mean this like why are you why are you different than Norvell but gonna produce the same results? Because I just think assuming like I'm just gonna tell you if from being around the program, Ryan Silverfield is not the same as as Mike Norvell. Like he's been part of the program and he's been instrumental, but I think Mike Norvell is a very unique person. And you can if Ryan Silverfield's gonna be successful, he cannot just be uh, Mike Norvell's twin. He has to be Ryan Ryan Silverfield. So, I want to know what does Ryan Silverfield look like what as is a his, head coach? Yeah, what is his stamp? And I'll and I'll take it even further. Mike Norvell wasn't Justin Fuente either. It was a totally different identity. And that's what's crazy. It's like you've had success. Like it does just because you go outside your comfort zone, if you will. I mean, it, Mike Norvell proved it's like you, that. Sometimes that's what you need to go the next level, if you will. 
So it's going to be fascinating. There's a lot of good candidates. You mentioned Billy Napier. I'd throw in Will Healy from Charlotte. He's a guy that I don't know if they're – I haven't heard if they're seriously considering him. To me, he's a guy who really, really intrigued me. Him and Napier both really, really intrigue me when you look at their backgrounds. Um, Napier, because he's got the ties to Nick Saban. He actually, uh, uh, he actually was Dabo Sweeney's offensive coordinator, I believe, yeah. ten years ago. Billy Napier. Uh, then when they brought in Chad, he got fired. They had one, he had one bad year as the OC, and he got fired. But then he joined up, and he, he was he was part of Saban's staff. He was like one of those guys who came on as an analyst and worked his way into as a position coach. Left for a year with McElwain to go to Colorado State. And then rejoined uh, Saban's staff, and now is coming off two years. He went seven and seven his first year at Louisiana, made a bowl game, and now it's coming off a I ten, believe, win, ten season. win season. They lost to who they lose to in the conference championship. App State. App State. Um, and then you've got Will Healy, who turned a just dreadful Austin P program into something. Uh, like a playoff team, FCS playoff his, team. He went from 0-11 his first year to 8-4 and his second year. Yeah, and then and then now has turned a dreadful Charlotte program in year one into a good Charlotte, pro, you know, into an 8-9 win team. So both of them intrigue me, and they're guys, I'm just going to be honest, again, put take the names out of the equation, whatever, you put their resume up against Ryan Silverfield's and with like a blind resume, I know who I'm taking. But this isn't a blind resume. I think what an equalizer is Ryan Silverfield's familiarity with the program. It is his um, his his understanding of Memphis. It is his recruiting ties to the area and to this team. I mean, there's so like you you can't just look at it in a vacuum. But to ignore that there are lots of other candidates out there like those two, like. Some of these OC, these high right guys who fit the template of what's worked here the last two hires, like Tony Elliott. I guess he's a little, a little different, but like Tony Elliott at Clemson, Graham Harrell at USC. I'm, who are some of the other guys on your yeah. OCs? I mean, Dan Lanning at Dan George. Lanning. I know he's a defensive coordinator, but he's a guy who's been very familiar with the program, and it's gonna, you know, and was the recruiting coordinator if I'm not mistaken yes. two years ago. He's the guy who, you know, you want to talk about like. Who you know recruiting? Who found Kenny Gainwell? Dan Lanning found Kenny Gainwell, um, and he's going to be a head coach here in the next couple years. I promise you, it can be at Memphis or it can be somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so there's lots, so many good candidates, and it's why, as weird as this weekend was, you came out of it not, one because Memphis won, two because Memphis is going to the Cotton Bowl, which is insane, but three. Because they have so many options. You came out this week. I came out feeling excited for the program's future. I don't think they can make, like, if they pick Ryan Silverfield, I think it'll be a good choice. I just think there are other good choices, too. Well, and that's what's that's what's exciting if you're a Memphis fan. And that's why I think, like, right now it's a matter of there's there's a lot of buzz, a lot of greatness. I think, to me, what you do is you you ride this the right way. You don't make a rash decision. You look at Ryan Silverfield and say, yes, he is absolutely somebody who I can see running this program, but you also, like I said, use that as fuel to say, all right, let's make the best decision for who we can get because we understand what's at stake right here. We have a lot of 
we as Memphis, if I'm Memphis, we have a lot of advantages here. Use those to your, you know, your play instead of just rushing and making a decision based on feel and instant decision or whatever, you know. It sounds like to me, based on what I'm hearing from you guys and other places, that the retread route is not that's that's off the table. What's as that? far as a retread coach. I mean I, like, I, I don't want to say rule anything out, but I mean I just think I just think you need like Memphis needs to make sure they remember what got them here, if that makes any yeah. sense. It wasn't hiring a retread coach. Yeah. It was it was like Let's be honest. Like we're talking about all these candidates. The last two hires were guys who, frankly, most people were not talking about before they got hired. Right. Here. They right. were kind of out of left field candidates who were who were hired after Memphis's initial choice fell through. When Justin Fuente got hired, it was when they couldn't come to terms with Jim McElwain. When Mike Norvell was hired, it was when Barry Odom backed out last second and went to Missouri. So. That's something to keep in mind. Now, the difference now is it's a different AD, you know, I guess it's a different structure, if you will. I mean, I, I don't, I'm curious what you think, Evan, if you believe Laird Veach when he says this is my hire to make. I was going to ask you that question because it sounds like to me from what he said that President Rudd, David Rudd, has given him that full confidence. And I feel like this is this is his chance being two months on the job here to prove himself because – Mm-hmm. I believe he wants to prove himself as an AD because he's been to Power Five schools. He's been around these kind of coaching hires and searches um, for what he said. Um, I think he wants to prove himself that he is built for this job. But Memphis didn't hire him just to be, you know, a great young face. They hired him because there's confidence in him that he can make these kind of decisions. Like, you can yeah, make this, so. I just think that's that's also a little night. Nice. Like, ultimately, he's going to have to make sure certain power brokers like. On the you know on the board of trustees, Brad Martin, Alan Graff, um, obviously David Rudd. Like, it's I would say this. I, I would phrase it like this. I think it's his recommendation to make. That, that's how I would probably phrase it. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Um, and, and but like honestly, that's how it is at every school. Like you know what? Like boosters boosters are involved in every hire. And frankly, the boosters here at Memphis, and it's not just the guys I named; it's others too. But like. They've done a good. Whoever was involved in the last two hires did a pretty good job identifying the right candidate because they worked out splendidly for Memphis. Right. And but that's also why I think Laird. Just like we said, Ryan Silverfield needs to put a stamp on his candidacy. I think Laird Veach wants to put a stamp on his athletic directorship, if you will. Yep. And it's why I think. It's why I think. It's why I think I'm guessing. It's why I do feel they are going to look outside of the Norvell tree a little bit because I think Laird is going to want to put his own stamp on the search, if you will. It's it's going to be fascinating. There's a lot of dynamics at play, and they have to play out really quickly because, like I said, I think you need to be going into the weekend with a probably with a good sense of who you're hiring, if not already announcing it. Um, and so... Buckle up, if you will, and uh, <laughs> so before we before we um, end this, let's talk a little bit about you know because that's what's ha- that's what's going to happen this week. Um, but in I guess it's 19 days from now, Memphis is going to play in the Cotton Bowl against Penn State. I believe they've never played Penn State never before. Played, never played Penn State. Um, I I can just tell you, I tweeted this when it was first announced. 
I've spent a good decade now hating Penn State. My brother went to Penn State. Um, so if you need any advice <laughs> on how to dislike Penn State, I'm you tweet at me at MGNato, email me MGNato at Gannett.com. I have um, plenty I can say to you. I, I I'll I will never forget my the one time I've only been to one game at at in Happy Valley, and it was 2007, and it was a prime it was one of those primetime whiteout games, and Michigan won, and I will ne- I'll never forget because I got a student ticket because I was a student at the time still, and my buddy it was 2006 actually, and my buddy gives me a ticket. And he goes, here's the ticket, but you can't sit with me because and I go, what do you mean? And he goes, he goes. People are going to throw stuff at you all game long, and I don't want to be standing next to you when they're throwing stuff at you. Lest anyone doubt Mark Giannato's seriousness on this matter, he everything he's saying right now is with a straight face. Straight face. No I, lies. I mean, just, just, oh, I hate Penn State. There's they're, no they're, joke they're, here. They're obnoxious. Um, it's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Go all in. Um, Come on, Mark. Tell us how you really Come feel. On, you may, you may or not. Yeah, and well, and honestly, it's it's an interesting matchup for Memphis because here's what I'll say about it. I think Penn State right now is a seven point favorite. Yes. Um, and Penn State has a pretty bad secondary. Like their their DBs are not great, which plays into Memphis's favor. Like I think skill position wise, Memphis matches up pretty well. <laughs> With Ohio State or Ohio State, Penn State's defense, but however, Penn State's lines are really good. Yeah, and that's yeah. what scares me of this in this matchup. I mean, we saw a couple years ago when when Memphis played Auburn in the what was it the Birmingham Bowl, I think. Yeah, and like they kind of got overwhelmed at the line of scrimmage, and and that's my that's my biggest concern in this game. And then the other part is, and and let's get into this a little bit. The fact that Mike Norvell is not coaching, and and that this is again goes back to the Silverfield discussion. I've just always felt, since being around this program, Norvell is the straw that stirs this drink. Man, I think he was. I think he's so important to the success of this program, and not having him in this game or having, you know, a distracted version of him. Um, I, I I worry about that for now, Memphis. Now the flip side of that argument is that. You know any any film or scouting reports or whatever that uh, Penn State has on Memphis this year is going to have Mike Norvell stamp all over it. And you yeah, could, it's going to be his play calling, not yeah whoever ends up calling the plays, whether it's Silverfield right. or Kevin Johns. I mean, there was a, Veach left open the door yesterday yes. for Mike to come back. I don't see that happening. Yeah, Mike yeah that, even, that would be strange. Mike even mentioned at the FSU conference saying, you know, I'll, I'll take a few days to think about it. I think he wants to, but it's a rea- it's reality. It's going to be really hard to try to coach the Cotton Bowl and try to recruit for Florida State, yeah. let's be honest. Yeah, well, no, there's that's... a dead period where he could come back late. And I, to me, the only scenario I could be, I would be comfortable with, I would think, if I'm, I'm, and I'm looking at it from both perspectives, if Mike wanted to come back and be like a consultant in game planning, the week or week and a half leading into the game, that's fine. But especially if you hire, I mean, like honestly, at this point, if he comes back and coaches the game, he's also kind of undercutting Silverfield. Well, one, if Silverfield is the main hire, then Mike's definitely not going to come back and coach. But two, even if Silverfield just is the interim the rest of the time, like this is a chance for him, even if he doesn't get the Memphis job, mm-hmm. to yeah. show his stripes yep. for something down the line. Right. And then the other part of it is, if you believe some of the reports out there, James Franklin was a guy who turned down the Florida State job 
before they offered it to Mike. Does Florida State really want distracted Mike Norvell coaching against James Franklin in the Cotton Bowl with the chance where he where and there's a very real scenario where he could lose the Cotton Bowl to James Franklin? Do you really want that for a guy who it seems like in the first 24 hours on the job did a lot to reverse some of the skepticism about his hire? I, it just seems like it seems like as as much as you want to say in a in a perfect world, Mike yeah. would, you know, do his thing at Florida State, but also finish out this year with Memphis. I, I just I think logistically and and just common sense wise, I don't see I don't see a lot of scenarios where it makes a ton of sense and would benefit either side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a storybook world, that would be great. Yeah, it'd be great if it could be like it'd be great. Frankly, it'd be great if Mike could could have waited to do the Florida State thing until after the bowl game. It would have been great if Florida State could have waited to announce its press conference until after Memphis played oh, yeah. Cincinnati. Right. That was but that was not. the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Like not ever seen, but it's just like come on, you couldn't wait two more hours yeah, to like right, right. say that there's a press conference, you know? Like yeah. give me a break. Yeah. Right, um right. like I don't blame Mike for that at all. I blame Florida State, but yeah. right. um it's been uh it's been a whirlwind week or so, um, and it's going to be another crazy week this week, I think, with this coaching search uh, going on. Uh, we will have tons of stuff up for you at CommercialPeel.com. There's there's oodles of articles up right now. Evan will be updating the hot board as developments happen during this search. Um, I have a few columns up about what Memphis should do, what Memphis should be looking for in its next head coach. Um, we will have stuff about preparations for the Cotton Bowl, stuff about Ryan Silverfield. It's just lots and lots of Memphis football uh, updates uh, at CommercialAppeal.com. But uh, till next time, we'll probably, we'll probably, I'm assuming, if this coaching search goes as I think it will go, we will join you in the next week or so to discuss who this new hire is, um, whether it's Ryan Silverfield or whether it's someone else. Uh, But till then, I was Mark. I was joined by Evan and Jason. Thank you so much, and enjoy the rest of your week. A new episode of the Tiger Football Podcast posts each Tuesday during the regular season. You can also subscribe to the show for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.